Hey guys, you are listening to a very special edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. We got a two-parter coming crossover with Locked On Knicks host James Marsena. In this first part, we are going to focus on the New York Knicks, uh, the trials and tribulations they face into this upcoming season. And then in part two, which I'm leaning towards putting out Friday, but don't hold me to that, uh, we go over everything Nets related and then debate uh, which team is better going forward. All right, so stick with me through this one. We are talking some Knicks basketball next on Locked on Nets. You are Locked on Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for joining us on the Locked on Nets podcast. Uh, this is an annual tradition. We did one. I, I, I did, in fact, look it up. It was it was two days off from being a year ago. Oh. Very, very excited to welcome on uh, my guy, uh, James Marceda. He is on the Knicks beat uh, and doing the Locked on Knicks podcast, which I am a frequent listener, listener to. If, if any of you uh, Nets fans have a little bit of Knicks love in your heart, and I, I trust that you do, I'm sure it's deeply, deeply suppressed, but I'm sure it's in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I highly encourage you to uh, check him out. All right, so how we're going to do this, uh, I'm going to ask him some questions about the Knicks. He's going to throw some questions back about the Nets, and then we'll finish it off uh, with a war of words uh, comparing the two teams and deciding which one is better off going forward. All right, uh, James, let's let's start uh, big picture. Uh, I, I, I did, like, I, I went back and I was like, I was like, how do we how do we organize this last year? And I went back and listened to a little bit of the podcast we did the year before, and, and you were just telling me how cautiously optimistic you were on Scott Perry. I believe the phrase you used was as cautiously optimistic as a human could possibly be. Is, is that still true? What, what, what has changed in a year? It has definitely upgraded from cautious optimism to legitimate full throttle optimism. Before wow. I go any further, I just want to also welcome you to Locked on Knicks, Gavin, because this is a crossover yeah. episode. So I just want to be a good host as we host each we we're battling it out for hosting privilege too, yeah. not just for uh, team supremacy but yeah um scott perry uh or uh, yeah scott perry steve perry yeah. scott perry steve mills um scott perry has been i don't know if great is the right word but you've they've hit all the key things that you want them to hit coming from the train wreck that is neck the Knicks front office over the past two decades in terms of not jumping into stuff too early, whether it be, we can talk more about this Jimmy Butler uh, stuff, jumping into free agency a little too early, not trading draft picks. Um, They seem to be excellent drafters under him in the very limited amount of time that we have to judge them with this year's picks of Knox and Robinson. And we can get uh, more into that as the show goes along. But based on everything that I've seen from Perry and then, you know, Bringing in Fizdale, who I like a lot so far. Um, there's lots of reports, not just from the Knicks front office, that the their reputation around the league is starting to be repaired. So, you know, there were ver- very early signs of competency this time last year after a full year. Um, I'm really, really happy with, with where they are from a front office perspective. All right. Uh, you, you mentioned David Fizdale, and um, I was actually really intrigued to hear your thoughts on this because... I, I got to say, like doing a Nets podcast full time, my, my Knicks fandom has not not in terms of intensity, but in terms of I guess like consumption of content, yeah. has fallen off a little bit. And I'm 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 
intrigued by David Fisdale. Like, obviously, he had this sterling reputation before going to the Grizzlies. Like, he was always the guy, like, oh, like, why hasn't he been hired yet? Like, like the team that gets him is, is going to be so incredibly lucky, and, like, so many other teams missed out on this guy. And then, obviously, he has, like, the one solid, if tumultuous year in Memphis, and then it ends badly uh, with Marcus Gasol, despite him being considered this player's coach. He, he kind of has, like, this old or at least seemingly had like these old school ideals about the game, but was so tight with like the best modern players ever in LeBron and Dwayne Wade. So there, yeah. there are all these like internal like conflicts with this guy. And I'm wondering like how you've kind of parsed through those and, and what your overall thoughts are on it. Overall, I'm really happy with what I've seen from him so far. I mean, it's the games are just starting. So we'll see yeah. how he finished, how he uh, figures out his rotations. You know, we'll see how he makes adjustments in game. Uh, we'll see what he values in players. Um, but you have to love what you've seen so far, given just the fact that, I mean, the worry with him is that he's a little bit of a bullshit artist, right? Like, he clearly is an excellent communicator. Everyone says that about him. Everyone loves him. It's like, does he have the chops? I have no reason to think he doesn't so far. But he definitely, I mean, people make fun of the Knicks for being this you know, free agent destination only in their own minds. And as long as I've been alive, which is now 36 years, that like has more or less been true, but they also haven't had a situation where just like forgetting who's doing the recruiting that anyone in their right mind would want to come to who is an excellent player in the prime of their career. It's looking like Fisdale is part of this turnaround where, you know, not only do players like him and respect him, but they would actively want to play for him. And so before the season starts and we can see how he is as an X's and O's guy and everything else that goes into, you know, the on-court product, which is obviously a huge part of coaching, maybe even more than 50%, um, you have to like what you've seen from him so far. I was kind of on the Budenholzer train before Fisdale became the guy. Um, I still think that would have been a good choice, but... Now I, f I feel like I'm insane for having wanted him, having fallen under the spell of Fisdale. And I don't just think it's because I am a Knicks fan. That's obviously part of it. But he really does seem to be a genuinely like likable guy who players want to play for, whether they're on their team or not. Um, I, I'm, I'm very happy. He's someone who I'm going to apply more cautious optimism than Perry because I haven't seen him up close and personal you know, yet, uh, game in and game out. But uh, very optimistic and with a with a healthy dose of, of caution. Okay, good. All right, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad there's always one person you can describe that way each year. <laughs> you know, hopefully, it's, it's whoever uh, the Knicks take in the top five uh, next season. No, but I'm, uh, that's that's interesting though because that that's essentially where I was at. Like I, I was a big proponent of Budenholzer. Obviously, he was proven in a way that, if memory serves, I, I don't think any of the other uh, candidates yes. the Knicks were considering uh, were proven. And, and Fisdale, like I, I just. I'm striving to understand whether his appeal to players is, is because he is this like genuinely like great guy. And as you said, like something of a bullshit artist and like, come on, we all love a bullshit artist. Like we all, yeah. we all have a friend, we all know that guy. And like, he, he's great. He, there's a reason he, he's successful being a bullshit artist is because he's so likable. You forgive him for that bullshit. Yeah. And obviously there's a little bit of that in David Fisdale and that's okay. That's likable. And, and I'm just, it, it's the same thing. Essentially you just said, but I'm interested to see if guys like LeBron and Wade, who like LeBron in particular, like we know, like understand basketball on this extraordinarily high level, probably yeah. on a higher level than any coach the Knicks have had in a long, long time. Um, I'm wondering if that's, 
yeah, if, if that's like kind of an endorsement of Fizdale and saying like because if you expect someone like LeBron, like like obviously like again like maybe I'm, I'm fixating too much on their relationship, but he like throughout his whole life like he's had his friends, but like all these guys have proven to be independently very successful on their own, and like I wonder if that tacit stamp of approval will translate into Fizdale being a great coach, and I'm, I'm not really sure about that. But it's, it's, yeah, it's no, I, I think there's something to that. I don't think LeBron suffers fools easily, and if he thought Fizdale was in any way kind of a fake with his basketball knowledge. Um, and like you said, LeBron's one of the smartest basketball guys. He's fully embraced the analytic revolution. He, I feel like he was one of the first guys I remember who was as good as he was, who talked about efficiency all the time. Like that wasn't, now it's just so commonplace, but that wasn't the it, the buzzword it is now, you know, when he started fully embracing it. Not that he was at the forefront of that movement, but as a, you know, uh, as a world-class player, I think he was one of the earliest. So, yeah, I think there's something to that. And the only things that have given me any sort of pause about Fisdale aren't really legitimate. I'm a little bit worried that he's a little too into Emmanuel Moutier. But, yeah. you know, we've had one preseason game. So let's slow the brakes there. And then he had that comment about Burke shooting mid-range jump shots. And I am someone who's a big proponent of having a good shot profile, as I think most, you know, smart, modern basketball fans are. But um, there is a place for a mid-range shot. And if... Burke can keep anything close to his ridiculous elite mid-range proficiency from last year. It makes a certain degree of sense throughout the flow of the game to occasionally take those shots. It's not something that you should like never take. So, but those are the only kind of things so far that I'm like, oh, I don't know. And there's questions over, you know, his rotations. But again, there's so much time to work that out. Everyone on the Knicks is new and young, and I'm not even remotely worried about that yet. That's just the only thing that could like potentially be seen as like a sort of red flag, but I wouldn't go near saying it is a red flag if that makes sense all right so we've gone over david fisdale uh we're gonna take a quick break when we come back let's talk about those rookies like a, a genuine part of the knicks that cannot be impeded in my mind right now they are perfect they will be perfect they will always be <laughs> perfect that next on the locked on nets podcast locked on nfl is becoming everyone's favorite daily national nfl podcast mondays it's the local experts on the biggest stories of the week Tuesday's former NFL QB Sage Rosenfels joins Matt Williamson. Wednesday, it is Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. Thursdays, it is the great Mike Sando of ESPN. And Friday, get Matt's picks only on Locked On NFL. Peak ticket season in New York is fast approaching, and we know that you want to be a part of it. The NFL is in full swing. The Yankees are getting ready for a playoff run. And hockey and basketball are just around the corner. And there's no better option to get a great deal on attending any of those events then Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats allows you to sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for $20 off orders of $200 or more to save you even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Then use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. James, I, I can I can only imagine you, you had the same exuberance watching the Knicks. First preseason game going through this summer league. 
obviously, uh, we, we kind of had high expectations for Kevin Knox, and I, I think he knocked them out of the park yeah. in his ability to create shots. But Mitchell Robinson came out of left field, and he, I, I, this is this is over the top, but like in my in my mind, he looked like how I would expect like a raw top ten pick to look. He he just seems to have a world of potential, and the Knicks somehow got him. <laughs> yeah, it's the Mitchell thing is interesting because. You know, I've been as pumped as anyone over his potential, seeing the things he's done in Summer League with all the obvious caveats that come there. Then this past Saturday when the Knicks had their open scrimmage at Madison Square Garden, uh, it was actually my birthday and I had plans with my fiance and we were doing all the stuff, moving around the city. I didn't see it. And I saw people saying like, oh man, he looks bad. This is, you know, what's, uh, this is what we can expect this season. He's, he's you know, people weren't like, down on him forever, but they were like, yeah, it's going to take a long time. And then I'm watching the game, and again, preseason, so healthy dose of skepticism, healthy pinch of salt, all that good stuff. But I was watching this, I was like, wait, is this not great? I mean, I know, like like you said, still very raw, but I was like, is he not... I was questioning my own sanity, because I was like, he looks awesome to me for what I would expect uh, from, from him at this stage in his career, you know, not having played in college and all that good stuff and then I went online and saw other people who I respect were like yeah he looks great tonight so I was like okay phew I'm not <laughs> losing my touch but his just his his ability to vertically space on offense it seemed like the Knicks at some point kind of just realized we're gonna lob it anywhere near him and even if it's not reasonable for him to get it he a will probably get a hand on it but even if he doesn't the threat of him getting that hand on it is so real the guys are going to start shoving him and fouling him and then on defense he's always looking for the ball uh you know we, we saw he only got one block shot in his i think it was 17 minutes the other night but all those skills still look there so to me he's just like that prototype of that pick and roll threat that lob threat that defense uh defensive minded that kind of like you know not uh, Chris Depp's unicorn, but that DeAndre Jordan, that Clint Capella type of thing. And yeah, he's raw, but I, I, like, I'm so excited for his ability to get there. And he certainly has the right clay to mold, I, I think. And I'm super excited for what the future brings for him. Right. And, and that's, and that's kind of the brilliance of having a theoretically fingers crossed, healthy Kristaps Porzingis on your roster, because he can literally play with any type of big, you have this rim rolling rim protector, you can just move Porzingis out to the three-point line, or you could ISO him on the elbow, but there's a lot of different ways to do it, and he gives you that flexibility to say, look, if we stumble into like this poor man's Rudy Gobert or Clint Capella, we, we can work with that, and we can fit him into this offense. Uh, James, how about uh, Kevin Knox? Obviously, um, di- didn't shoot the ball exceptionally well in summer league, no. but there really weren't a lot of other questions there, like his ability to create offense at uh, I'm forgetting how tall he is, but I think around six foot eight and just be a physical force so early in his career and showing off, if not, again, great efficiency, a nice touch on his jumper. Like, I think he has to be a little bit ahead of where the Knicks thought he was going to be. He just looks like a player. I mean, you you, got to realize how young this kid is. He's like, I forget what it was, second or third youngest guy in the draft. Um, But like, he's just some guys, the way they carry themselves, you know, this is very unscientific here, but you know, he walks, he strides out onto the court. You're like, this guy's a beast. Um, he doesn't look that thin for how young he is. He's going to put on muscle, but he looks like he's got a super sturdy frame. The way he moves in the open court is like beautiful. And I know this is a ridiculously high standard to set that I don't necessarily expect him to meet, but like it does remind me a little bit of the way a Giannis moves in the open court. 
Um, it looks like he's got motion on good. It looks like he's got good form on his jumper. It looks like he shoots an easy ball. The, you know, it's still very early in his career. We'll see where the efficiency is. I expect him to not shoot fantastically in his rookie season, as most rookies, you know, don't. But it looks like he's got a lot of things he can do on offense. He looks smart and composed. It doesn't really look too fast or the moment too big for him. Um, and even defensively, you know, that figures to be his weak suit starting off, but. I, I like the defensive stance he was getting into the other night. I thought he was pumping his feet. I thought he was active there. Um, he's just someone who I look at and I'm like, this guy's going to be an all-star. Um, you know, is, is that the most likely outcome? I don't know. Like, maybe not statistically, but I, I just think he looks like he has the makings of a, just a fantastic player. And he's someone who I liked uh, pre-draft, wasn't as big as some other guys. But now that I've seen him, I'm like, holy shit, I'm... So glad the Knicks drafted him. I think that was a great pick. And I think it subtly was a nice way of making sure that there wasn't as much of a rush to uh, hurry up their window and to make it come sooner because you have someone like him who shows so much promise, who's still so young, along with Frank. Obviously, Chris Depps isn't that old yet. Um, but I just, I just liked that pick on every level the more I see him. And I think he's going to be great. I really do. No, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you, James. Um, I mean, it, it really goes back to that old Bill Simmons thing, just looking how players run, and I think that's like a little BSE, but it really, like, his, his fluidity going around the court and just his confidence, like, he just didn't, he absolutely looked like he belonged, and, and more than that, he, he absolutely looked like a guy who was ready to be assertive from day one in the NBA. Uh, you made the Giannis comparison just in terms of movement. I, I just think in terms of mentality, um, there's a little bit of Donovan Mitchell there, and I don't think he's going to have that kind of rookie season. I don't think he's going to come close to replicating that type of efficiency. And, and secondly, I, I just don't think he has the type of talent around him that will allow him to have anything close to that type of season. Right. But again, it just it just makes you extremely confident going forward. Uh, you you mentioned Frank Nilakina, and I, I, I want to talk about Frank because sure. I'm I'm a little I'm a little worried about Frank. Fair. I I was, I was so in on him last year, and obviously, like I, you you were in the thick of it. You were watching every single Nick game, you were seeing him shoot something like 36% from the field for the entire season. I, I watched the highlights, so, so I'm making these brilliant <laughs> passes, uh, locking down guys on defense, like these full court just reads that were just absolutely brilliant, and I was really, really into it, and then there's this uh, there's this announcement that like he's going to play mostly off the ball this year, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, he's this brilliant intuitive point guard and he's he's not someone who's necessarily a developed scorer yet so i thought the best possible place for him was on the ball and and, and the fact like it would have been fine if like all right you have a top five pick you take a point guard like i get it let, let, let's try him there but it, the fact that they're doing it for trey burke and emmanuel moutier just seemed like a, a classic like old nicks move to me so i was wondering what what your what your thoughts were on that yeah i mean that's one of the scariest things what's going to happen with frank because i fully believe in his defense um i think he was borderline elite if not elite as a perimeter rookie and that's just something that doesn't happen um and i, I think he's only going to get better there he grew an inch and a half he got stronger that doesn't worry me at all but like you said it, it's how is he going to develop offensively i think he has fantastic vision um i i think he's got really great court vision he is you know he struggles with his handle it is a little bit weak um, and he struggled with his shot last year. The thing with him is, the Knicks didn't come out and say, like, we're going to only play him off ball. We're going to try to develop him there more. They keep saying this thing about how all three guys, and that's Burke, Moutier, and Nilakina, are going to be developed as guards, right? But it was interesting because in the first half of the preseason game, 
Um, Frank played exclusively off-ball in the first half. Then the second half, he did become the primary initiator for um, a lot of the third quarter. And interestingly, that was when they went on like a 10-0 run. Again, it's preseason, so I'm not going to get too heavy into that. Yeah. But um, it's... I, I'm worried about Moutier. Like, I just don't believe in him at all. I really don't. Uh, he's shown no progress at all uh, in his time in the league. He's been one of the worst players at his position, if not the worst, during his time in the league. And I don't get him being the first guy off the bench over Frank. Again, just preseason. Um, I, I don't think he deserves a lot of time there. Uh, he's got to show so much more than what he's shown to me as a Nick throughout his career, throughout this uh, you know very early preseason, to earn these kind of minutes. And it, it is sort of frustrating, but it is also very early. So I'm, I'm a little scared about what they're going to do with him. Um, and I do think he can only... He still hasn't been given that rope to fail. And he's someone who's a little bit timid. He's someone who is, and I, when pe- people get on me sometimes for saying that, but it's, it's compared to some of these other NBA guys. Like, yes, you need everyone, these guys all have confidence. They all believe in themselves. But they're also all human. And you can see Frank's timidity, and he was given such a short leash last year, and I think that really hurt him. And I, I think if they give him a fair shot to play a lot of minutes at point guard, that he's going to keep improving. And again, he's still so young. You know, he, he hasn't turned 20 yet. So when that happens, um, you, you know, like point guards, as you know, sometimes takes until they're 21, 22, 23, 24. So it, it could take a while. I just hope they don't give up on it because I do think he has a chance to still, I don't think he's ever going to be like, you know, an eight-time all-star, but I think he can be a starter on a championship team if they develop him correctly because he's so defensively versatile. He's got such great vision. And he did shoot, even though he shot very poorly last year, he shot something like 36% on a catch-and-shoot threes. So if they could put him in position more where he's like taking good shots and doesn't have to work too hard for them, uh, they could develop him that way too. I share some of your trepidation about what they're going to do to develop him, but I, I think it's too early to fully panic yet. That's, that's my overarching uh, opinion there. Yeah, I just, I, I don't get the fixation with, with Moutier at all. Like, and, and specifically, like, yeah. I mean, it, it'd be one thing, I, I, I wanted to say, like, it'd be one thing if they were trying to win this year, but as, as you pointed out, like, Moutier playing isn't particularly conducive to that goal either. No. And, and the Trey Burke thing, like, I mean, I get it. He was uh, one of their best players last year. But uh, to me, that still seems like a little bit of a mirage. Uh, you, you hinted at it earlier. It was based on, like, a large diet of extraordinarily efficient mid-range shooting and I, I think he's good at that I don't I don't think he's an all-timer at that so I I just yeah. I, I don't I don't get why Frank wouldn't be playing the majority of minutes at point guard because I, I think the future of this team is, is frankly it's him Porzingis Knox and, and Robinson if he's as good as we think he could maybe yeah. be yeah the one last thing I'll say about that is that I, I just feel like right now to start the season there's a good chance that Burke is way better at getting the whole team into the offense. I did think he did a good job point guarding last year, not just uh, shooting from mid-range. I thought he ran a nice pick and roll. I, th- I thought he did a good job of looking for his teammates first and then taking his shot when he needed to. And there's something to be said where if I'm not in, we're not in these practices, right? If Frank is being given a lot of burn as, as the point guard in practice and is struggling to get the team into their set, maybe because of his handle, for instance, right and then that affects so many guys and you're trying to develop so many guys not just frank that if burke is good for now at doing that i can make i I can do some mental gymnastics where that makes sense even though he's clearly not the future as the starting point guard in my opinion because his defense will never be great because of his size um but i would hope to see by maybe this is an artificial date but like halfway through the season frank start to get 
you know, some starts at point guard and lots of heavy minutes there. It's really Moutier that, that enrages me. Burke, I can make a case for. Moutier, I, I really don't see it. All right, and obviously, again, we're way overreacting. Only one game in, so we'll see if the Knicks <laughs> yeah, can for pick sure. that out. All right, uh, let's wrap up the second segment. Come back for one quick final one. Talk about how bad the Knicks can be this season and them not trading for Jimmy Butler for some reason, even though that seems like the next thing to do. That next on Locked On Nets. Locked On NBA never went away, and it's still here for you every day. Locked On NBA is your daily national NBA podcast. Every Monday, get the local experts on the biggest stories and then stay with Locked On NBA all week long with daily 30-minute episodes on everything going on in the league. Follow for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA. Uh, it's that time again. Knicks tankathon. They've been doing it for 18 years running. Uh, why? Why stop now in the in the 2018-19 season? Um, James, I, I don't know if you have. I I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows when Kristaps Porzingis is, is is coming back. But do you get the sense that the Knicks realize their opportunity here to be bad and add one more star, or are they saying all the Fisdalian stuff about we're gonna play as hard as possible and we're gonna figure out a way to win a lot of games this year? I think they know that this is their last shot at, um, you know, really getting a high draft pick. Because if KP comes back healthy, we saw last year, you know, they were about a 500 team with a cast of horrifically scrubby scrubs. So if he comes back, you're not getting in the lottery again, right? If he's anything close to what he is. I, I do think, luckily, that they don't need to play games to be as bad as possible. I think that the young guys could still look really good and can develop a lot and they could still lose a ton of games because it's the NBA. And there's a lot of good <laughs> there's a lot of excellent teams, good teams with you know seasoned veterans. The Knicks have so many young people. And even when KP comes back, he's gonna be on a minutes restriction. I think it's gonna be later than people think. Um, and he's gonna be rusty. People are rusty when they miss a week or two, right? He's coming off a 10 month, 12 month layoff. He's not gonna be the same right when he comes back. He might help them win an extra game or two, but I think they'll be able to sort of actually live this mantra that they preach to the players of trying hard to win and have it not affect uh, their draft positioning that badly. And it also simultaneously not being bad for the future of the team. I don't think that's going to mean that the players they have now suck. It just means that it's too soon for them. So I, I love the position the Knicks are in, and obviously we'll start comparing soon, but yeah, I, th- I, I think KP's going to come back late. He's going to be diminished. And they'll be able to kind of play both sides of the fence here in a way that's really beneficial to them. Yeah, no, it was, it was interesting. Uh, Josh and I did an exercise uh, this offseason, actually only only about a week ago. Uh, it's quickly changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we ranked the top 25 players in the Atlantic Division. And Porzingis ended up being the only Nick we had in there. And I went back and looked at it. And I was like, okay, like maybe like you could have made a case for Hardaway or Cantor, but I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that without Porzingis, like they, they are one of the least talent rich teams in the NBA. And obviously like they have this weird mix of like guys who would be semi relevant, like side pieces on a contender. And and then these young guys, and, and there's just no kind of cohesive force without Porzingis in there. So I, I think, I think you're right. I think there is a direct Avenue for this team to be very, very poor without a whole lot of effort. And I think long-term, that's probably for the best, and it certainly increases their ceiling going forward. All right, uh, James, speaking of increasing their ceiling going forward, obviously uh, I think you might have heard the rumors of a certain Kevin Durant uh, potentially being interested Uh in uh, being 
a New York Nick. And you know, like for the longest time, like I would, I would never ever talk about this stuff. Is I'm like, all right, that is so stupid. Like no one's coming to the Knicks. Like every every time there's a big free agent, uh, someone says that they're going to come to the Knicks. A million people write an article about it, and it never ends up happening. Right. Uh, but, but it it I don't know. It just seems like this is like kind of the direction the NBA is going, where there are rumors about these mega stars a, a year, or in LeBron's case with the Lakers, like two three seasons out. And there are whispers and there are people saying they know stuff. And it's like, all right, like, I, I don't think you actually know this. And then they end up happening. So I'm not, I'm not totally ruling out. I guess I'm not even going to ask you a question. I'm just going to leave it there. What, what, do, what do you think about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to say it's likely, but I think it's possible. I, I do think it's possible. Because yeah. um, everything is insane until it happens in the NBA. And this keeps right. happening every offseason, right? It's just like, would, would you have believed that these three guys would have switched teams? No, you wouldn't. And now this just happens every year. And especially with KD, you know, um, other people have said this. I tend to agree with this. He clearly does care what other people think. I think a lot more people care what people think than they let on. He's just someone who's, like, more open with it. But I I do think that he's at least aware of the possibility that going to New York and potentially bringing a championship there would do so much more for him than anything he could do at Golden State from now until he retires. I I think that's in there. And I do think... You know, with Fisdale, if KP comes back, it seems like a lot of NBA players like him. I mean, you know, you're not going to say, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Knox and Robinson are uh, the guys who are going to get Kevin Durant yeah. here. Like, I'm not saying that. But it's better that they have those two than two guys who will, who look like shit so far. You know what I mean? Like, that's just a little bit, like, extra, like, sand on the pile. Just to use the weirdest analogy that makes no sense. Sure. The sand pile. That's enticing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, KD I, I, to come here? I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I think it's just weird enough that like KD might be into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. KD, you could be the sand on our pile. It's like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, you're, you're the missing sand in the sandbox, KD. Come play in it. <laughs> Build it into what you want it to be. Um, yeah, I, I think it's within the realm of possibility. And that the fact that that's I can even say that uh, makes me feel so much better about the next future. Not because I'm assuming it's going to happen, but the fact that we can talk about it without being laughed out of the room. Maybe people are laughing at us right now. I can't see all you guys listening. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it makes me feel good as a Knicks fan. Right, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And it's funny because, like, it is, like, in so many ways, like, just the mirror of what LeBron did last year because the Lakers were, uh, for obviously not nearly as long, but for a couple of years, they were kind of a floundering organization uh, the way the Knicks have been my whole life. They, they collect all these young guys, and suddenly LeBron pops out of thin air. So, who right. knows? I don't want to rule it out. All right, uh, fi- final thing uh, before we uh, flip over to talking about the Nets. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I-, I thought it was pretty incredible, obviously, during that town hall. I, I think it was-, it was Scott Perry who came out and said, we're not going to give up free agents. Uh, uh, excuse me, we're not going to give up assets for a guy who's going to be a free agent the next season. And that was stunning to me because I-, I was just like the second it came out that Butler was interested in being a Nick. I just thought this was Carmelo Anthony all over again. The Knicks yeah. just, like give up Kevin Knox or Mitchell Robinson. They give up their first round pick next year. They give Butler $190 million. They don't have any money to do anything else next offseason. And they're, they're mediocre for five years. And then we start this whole thing over again. But somehow they're they're not doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's, it's amazing. It's definitely the right move, in, in my opinion. Um, the, the, Jimmy Butler's a great player. But like you said, he's going to want that $190 million contract. You know how that's going to end. And they're going to be in cap hell trying to double down on the last years of his career and get something out of it, right when Kristaps is entering his real prime of like 26, 27, 28 years. So I'd much rather wait a couple of years 
and then you throw your chips in, even if it's for someone who's 30. But like, wait till, <laughs> it's still not my preference, but you know, Jimmy Butler is an incredible player. It's just, it's just too soon, like you said, especially since he's a free agent to give up anything for him, I think would be a mistake. We've seen the Knicks do this a lot. Yeah, he'd make them a lot better and it would be fun, but he's just not the guy that you push in your chips for at this point in time. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I was so happy to see that they held firm to that. There was a classic kind of thing that they wouldn't have done a couple of years ago. And it's just another reason that I feel like they're in the right hands. All right. So the Knicks are, are somehow maybe on the track to competency. And uh, I, I don't I don't want to sour that note at all. So we'll wrap up the first part of this Locked On crossover. Come back tomorrow. Probably. I don't know when you're releasing it, James. So I don't <laughs> want to talk to you. We'll come back at some point in, in the near or distant future and uh, talk about the Brooklyn Nets and then get into comparing these two teams.